0: Hello and welcome to this week's Talent Talks. As you know, this series of webinars and podcasts is an attempt to get behind the scenes of the world of work, to find out about the options open to young people when making those important decisions at the beginning of their careers. We talk to employers and representatives of a wide range of industries across the country and today the world. So I'm very, very uh, glad to be joined by Sharon Blyfield of Coca-Cola Euro Pacific Partners. Sharon, welcome back to Talent Talks.
1: Thank you, David. Excited to be back with you.
0: I think last time we spoke was pretty much the week when the big merger had happened um, with the Euro-Pacific organisation. So I guess a lot has been happening since we we last caught up.
1: Yes, so we've um, rebranded to Euro-Pacific. The good thing about the name is the fact that we can still keep the initials of CCEP so we don't have to change all of our email addresses or anything like no, that, that time, literally that just one. changed absolutely um and yeah and it's getting to know a lot of our colleagues um in the pacifics i think the challenge there is always going to be that time difference mm. um you know so one of my first um people and culture calls was at eight o'clock in the morning we're like oh my gosh it's eight o'clock in the morning we're having this call but of course in Australia it was five o'clock in the evening so it is all of that balance um so I do feel a little bit for my colleagues who are dealing on a day-to-day basis with the pacifics because their timings are just all over the place but yeah great to be part of a even bigger global organization and I mean it is it's
0: great isn't it because the the, the size and the scale also comes with amazing opportunities to go and discover and work in, in new places, presumably. I mean, it's one of the things I always enjoyed about working for a large organization.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, it, it, it is. Um, you know, we always talk about the Coke family. So with the Euro Pacifics and, and you know, and the bottler, it does open up the world of opportunity. That world is pretty limited at the moment, um, but purely and simply because what's happening with um, COVID and countries not uh, are limiting who can come in. But once some form of normal travel. Um, resumes then yeah we're we're hopeful that lots more opportunities will, will come our way and that we can share best practice you know but based for giving it and receiving it from our colleagues um, on the other side of the world.
0: I mean you say some sort of normality but I mean look at the background I, I think you must be out of the office and you, you're out in the real world are you today that, that's exciting. Yeah yeah I'm talking at my first
1: conference um, I've done a few award Dinners uh, in the in September because everybody seemed to go award season crazy yep. in September. But yes, this is my um, first conference. It's um, apprenticeships for England, um, and I will be talking this afternoon. So the area that I'm in, is they've put me away from the main conference hall at the moment. But you never know, people might walk behind me. Um, and whilst I'm in the middle of something, and somebody might just wave. Hey, who knows what's going to happen? But it is fantastic uh, to be back out and to be on stage later. Uh, yes, yeah, sharing what we've been doing during this time—that's brilliant.
0: And, and how is it working out for the rest of the, the, the team at, at Coca-Cola? I mean, is everybody now sort of back to their normal working patterns, back in the office or or, or their normal work environment?
1: Well, I think that's an interesting one, um, David. So we did a survey. Oh gosh probably spring of um this year just to ask people uh what they thought um they would want to do about coming back to the workplace back to the office um and for our office-based staff most of them said they would do two to three days back in the office um typically tuesday wednesday thursday not monday and friday um and so at the moment we're seeing how that goes and how that pans out um but, you know, I mustn't forget that our manufacturing sites have been operational throughout the whole of the pandemic. Um, you know, soft drinks, people want soft drinks. So, and we've still been producing and our sales team went back to work in June of, of 2020. So it really has been, um, the, teams that are in the head office and our satellite offices that have probably had a degree of flexibility in terms of that working location. But I think gradually confidence is returning and they are now starting to kind of make that trip into the office. I mean, I was in head office, you know, last week. I've been pretty much in the office since May of 2020 um, because I had to reopen the offices. And some people had a lot of anxiety about coming in, and when they then came back to the office, it was very much oh it's not it's not so bad in here; it feels really safe yes, um but it is just those that smaller proportion that minority who have i guess adapted their lifestyle to working from home. Many people I understand have got you know puppies and dogs during lockdown, and now all of a sudden, coming back to work is well, who's going to look after the puppy or the dog? Um, Because people probably hadn't given that one as much thought and consideration. Uh, Maybe
0: they should have. Yeah, totally. Um, But presumably that means for the young people that have joined you since we last spoke, I think you've had a round of apprentices join and graduates as well. That means kind of they're able to get in there face to face and it's it's no longer a pure virtual programme for them.
1: No. So we are really, you know, the, the group that have come in in September have been really fortunate and lucky compared to the group that came in in january february so that group in january february was all virtual um for them their induction so we couldn't do a lot of the lovely things that we normally would do this september we brought in 17 apprentices and 10 graduates um and you know all of them have had in-person induction. So the apprentices spend a week at our um, head office uh, in Uxbridge um, and the graduates are on a three-month induction programme um together before they start their first rotations, that they have been able to experience what I would call the normal way that we would um induct into into our business and part and the reason why that's important is because for us they're they need to form their own community they're going to be on a journey, so you know our programs for our apprentices range from eighteen months to four years, and we want them on that journey together the graduates are on a four-year graduate program. You know, they need, as well as support from, you know, managers from the organization, they need the support from each other as well. That's great for their well-being. So by being able to have them in person, building those communities that's really set them up for success
0: that's really good to hear and I guess before we step into kind of your current hiring the roles you're looking for just remind us a bit about the organization because it is I mean every time I look at it and think about it it's it's bigger than I think it does more things than I remember I mean just 33,000 people around the world working for you about 1.75 million customers the numbers are huge so just remind us about Coca-Cola Europe Pacific Partners and what an amazing organization it is
1: yeah, so, um, it's you know, I've worked for the business, gosh, the end of this year will be um twenty nine years, so i've I've seen it change in that in that time. But the one thing, as I always say to, um you know, the students, the young adults that I talk to is Coca-Cola is always at the front of whatever the end part of the organisation is called. Um But what a lot of people don't understand is that we have the Coca-Cola company and that's the parent company who are responsible for the licences uh, to allow us to bottle the products around the world. Coca-Cola Euro Pacific is a bottler and it's the largest bottler of the Coke system. And as a result of that, you know, we we are in a privileged position that we have uh, loved brands around the world. Um, you know, as you say, 33, just over 33,000 um, employees in Europe and the Pacifics. So we're not part of North America. Back in history, we were part of North America, but we're not now. And with that comes lots of opportunities for um us as um employees of the organization but actually we hold a real responsibility for the communities that we operate in and for us as a business we want to ensure that everything we do has a positive impact on our communities that we operate within uh, but yes yeah, so we're not the coca-cola company we're not the ones who sponsor the olympics we are the organization that ensures you have soft drinks to drink when there isn't a haulier problem um, in the supermarkets and uh, in your independent corner shops.
0: But, but it's also far more than just the, 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 the kind of the, the canned drinks as well. I mean, Costa is another huge brand within the organisation that I'd forgotten was, was part of, the, of, of your empire.
1: Well, it is, it is. So, um, so this is why we talk about the Coke family. Um, so the Costa, so we have Costa Coffee and Costa Express. And people often just think of Costa, but a bit like us, you know, there are different sides to the business. Um, so our graduates, we, which we referenced earlier on Monday, they're going to go off to the Costa Express Academy and do barista training for the day because we can tap into that. But we also, as well as the Costa family, Innocent is part of our, our, organizational portfolio as well so the reach that we have is absolutely enormous um, and again that creates opportunities not just to move within the coca-cola bottling side of things but also into other entities uh, within the organization as well
0: so lots going on there and so tell us a bit more about the uk where, where about are your your sites where do people work for you across the country
1: yeah. So we have uh, manufacturing sites in East Kilbride, which is near Glasgow in Scotland. We have our Wakefield factory, which is the biggest factory in Europe. Then we have our smallest site, which is in Morpeth near Newcastle, which is the home of Smart Smartwater. Um, then as you travel down the country, we have two satellite offices. So we have an office in Nottingham and they are responsible for our big customers, so the likes of Tesco, Sainsbury's, Booker's, then you come into Milton Keynes and that's where we have the home of equipment. So it's the only place in the UK that is responsible for all of the fridges you might see, the vending machines or if you go into a pub, PostMix and anyone who goes into um, the likes of um, Five Guys, you'll see that there is the Freestyle Machine so you can make any concoction of soft drink that you want, um, which clearly a lot of people love. Then you come down to our head office in Uxbridge, and that is both our GB head office, but the European headquarters um, as well. And then you move very swiftly down to Edmonton in North London, another manufacturing site, and Sidcup in Kent. And I have
0: not forgotten any of them. So I'm quite pleased with myself. Well done. It's always the problem, isn't it? You miss somebody out of your peril. But I mean, it's interesting just listening to you. About that, because it goes far beyond just the process of putting something in a, in a can or a bottle, doesn't it? The servicing, the, the distribution, the making sure that it's in the fridge is working, all of that is part of the service you offer to your customers.
1: It, it absolutely is. Yeah, really critical. Customer service is one of our strategic imperatives. We have to deliver always the best that we can. Um,
0: great service for our customers. So we'll come back to the roles again in a minute, but I guess it, it's also very timely to be thinking about sustainability at the moment. We have COP26 coming around the corner. And I think, I mean, there have been some really interesting headlines coming out from Coca-Cola Pacific Partners because you, you are obviously a large user of energy and also plastics and, and other things where it is a challenge to balance and, and make the whole business sustainable.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think the thing for us, you know, we made the commitment, we have what's called This Is Forward, um, and we made our commitment to sustainability a number of years ago so it isn't just in recent times we have continuously looked at how we can um, make more of our products sustainable from a recycling perspective and the packaging that we that we use in terms of um, you know the um, energies you know our Wakefield site have got solar panels on there again to ensure that we um, as an organization are making sure that we're you know friendly to the climate Um, you know we've had a m- huge move to so our sales reps we've had a huge move to you know more hybrid cars Rather than you know your traditional cars as as we would we would call them, everything that we try to do is energy efficient. Um, we've got the recycling, um, you know, all of our well we try to make sure that all of our products are recycling. But you've got the um, the government recycling scheme, which I remember as a kid. You know, you used to take your pop bottle back, and I'm showing my age here to the corner store um, and everything. The fact that they are looking to reintroduce the deposit return scheme you know we are heavily heavily focused on that Um, and now you can see I am in a place because I haven't moved there we go the lights go off see so it's all about sustainability it's all it's all a question of timing with this but yeah for us as an organization it is really really important that we do everything that we can to support the planet, to support the environment and the future, you know, for our organization and for everybody else as well.
0: I mean, I've been really impressed by stuff like the, the things you're doing, like, so going packaging free in Spain, or you've, I think, now got two carbon neutral sites in, in Europe as well. And again, it's a reminder of that scale, isn't it? The opportunity to make a difference on a global scale, if those are the kind of things that you want to get involved with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, we also then look for partners that we can do that with as well. Um, so it's not just about us benefiting it from it, but other organizations that we can work with who maybe have more of the knowledge to help us to be able to improve and to get better. Um, and you know, and because very often, if you think about it, it is our brand when somebody talks about plastics that's, or cans, you know, when we do a cleanup, you know, those, it is our brands that are typically the ones that are shown. Yeah. Um. And I, and I am always a believer of we do, we can only do so much, you know, it's our consumers who purchase it that also have to be able to help as well. So we put on the caps of our bottles recycle me please recycle me actually i have one here don't know if you can see it but oh, yeah. It says, please yeah, yeah. recycle yeah. me so we do everything that we can as an organization to um encourage everybody to also be as sustainable as we can as well
0: and i think one of the things i was reading about your recycled plastics which have actually taken forty-three thousand tons of virgin plastic out in, in a single year i mean again that that's a big number isn't it to be able to have such an impact on yeah
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, our sustainable team, our sustainability team, you know, they work at tirelessly, tirelessly to see what can they do to improve. But, you know, even if I think about our manufacturing sites and, you know, in the amount of water that we use, they, the water that they use, they use to re, they recycle it. They have their recycling, um, Plants within the within the the factories that then allow them to recycle the water to be able to use it to clean down to support rather than bringing in fresh water again. So yeah, we're doing absolutely everything in our power to to um
0: to support the planet. Fantastic. So loads of I mean just fascinating topics there, which we spent hours and hours discussing. But let's move on to the role then, that you're recruiting for, um because. I mean, as we've just set out, the opportunities are huge, but that also must mean there is a range of different skills that you need. Tell us a bit about the apprenticeship and graduate program and the people that you you look to bring in.
1: Yes. So, I mean, apprenticeships, graduates, um, work experience, any pathway it is really close to my heart when we talk about from an early careers perspective, um, because we know that there is there are a lot of young talented um individuals out there but you know their opportunities are limited so this year um to, to actually let's let's just pause a moment 2020 um we took a moment out to say what do we want from our programs but that's our engineering from an apprenticeship perspective and what do we want from our graduate program we took a moment out and then revisited um uh, our need for as a business. Um, so for our apprenticeships, we need engineers. We absolutely, and that's actually still continues to be a national skill shortage anyway. So why not grow and nurture our own talent? Um, and actually one of the things we've understood from our business and from our workforce planning is that more people post the pandemic are rethinking what is it that they want to do what's that lifestyle hey lights come back on what's the lifestyle that they're looking um, to achieve and for some of them that balance means that maybe they'll step away and step back and maybe retire earlier so it gives us the opportunity then to bring in some young and new fresh talent into our organization and we've created a number of pathways so we have our engineering we have our sales we have our logistics and, hey, everybody knows we've got a challenge in logistics at the moment. So really, really important for us to be nurturing uh, young people in those directions. And then we also have the graduates. And for us, this was very much about leadership and management. Who do we want to be the future leaders of our organisation? And we went out really intentional on that piece of recruitment with a real focus on we wanted females to be coming in. But we also wanted those who come from an ethnically diverse background or maybe who come from a less socially deprived area. That was what was really important to us. And working with the, um, team from Get My First Job, we actually achieved that. So we came in with 60% females. Um, so, you know, normally, it's 50 feet, no, that, predominantly. Uh, sorry, no, this was in our graduates. Now, okay. in our engineering, interesting, it's a really interesting thing, David, for engineering. Pre-pandemic, we got a lot of females, young, young adults who, um, really showed that interest in engineering. And I think it's because we were able to get out to the schools, the career show, and really um, talk to them about the opportunities. But more importantly, for them to see a young female doing that job role. In that 20-month window with the pandemic, myself and those who work in food and drink and my network colleagues have seen a reduction in females wanting to go into engineering um, so it goes to show that there is still a lot of work on that side to be done and we need to maintain that connection and that momentum and how important that sometimes in person is for someone to get that spark from you
0: but what we were we able sorry we see it across across the board but actually the way in which you challenge assumptions about careers or roles is actually so, so much easily done if you are face to face, if you can actually meet the person that you could be in the future. So that sounds like you're, you're really wanting to get back into the, the kind of face to face engagement again.
1: Absolutely. Because, you know, we want, we have the momentum. Let's get the momentum back. I think it'll be quite easy to get the momentum back, but it will just be. A matter, a matter of time. But for our engineering, though, we were kind of almost went the opposite way from a, we 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 reverse it. So we didn't get as many females, but what we did get more ethnically diverse um, uh, employees from an engineering. So you know, we couldn't get the females more ethnically diverse. So I saw it as a tick, tick, tick. Really, really positive for us um, in that respect. But, you know, we for us, we're about to start more recruitment for um, our 2022 apprenticeships. I mean, I can't believe we're nearly at the end of 2021, uh, but our 2022 apprenticeships. And um, we want to continue that same Journey around having females more ethnically diverse, more those from a, you know, more socially deprived background because we want to create the opportunities. And we believe that for us, you know, we want everyone to succeed and, and what opportunities can we give them to them to be able to do that? And what's the support, um, that we can provide as well?
0: And at the heart of it, I guess is a message of saying that it doesn't matter where you come from, what school you went to. What heritage or background you're from, actually, there's a place for you in an organization like Coca-Cola Europe Pacific.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this, um, springtime, we brought in our first Kickstart into the organization. And, um, you know, the government scheme around Kickstart was very much focused on those who were at risk of long-term unemployment. By opening up that pathway, um, we have had young people come into our organization who probably thought this is a big corporate. I'm never going to get the opportunity to come into that organization if I was going through a traditional pathway and a traditional recruitment, which I guess I'm going to say I find surprising because uh, I don't come from, you know, a really wealthy background and I didn't go to university, yet somehow 29 Years down the line, I'm head of early careers and I'm in the organisation and I never saw it as a barrier to coming into your organisation. But there is a perception that if you aren't going to a Russell Group University, you know, or a top school, that it's going to be significantly harder for you to get into any corporate organisation. But what the Kickstart program has shown, oh, the lights have gone out again. What the Kickstart program has shown to a lot of these young individuals is that they can actually come into a corporate organization and they can be successful and they can start their careers with us. Um, they just need to be able to navigate what's the recruitment pathway to, to do that. And one of the things that I've done with with early careers is rather than um, going, oh, you need to have a CV and it needs to show all of this Stuff on it. I said to my managers, I'm not giving you a CV for somebody who's early careers because what are they going to show? Oh, I went to school and these are my exam results or I might have done a bit of volunteering. Well, managers, you ask a candidate to be curious about our organization and go out and do their research. Well, for you, I want you to be curious about talking to those individuals. So if you don't have a piece of paper in front of you, you can't prejudge. Therefore, your unconscious biases can't come in. You just have to talk to the person and ask them really good questions. So I push now the onus on the manager to be asking a lot of those really good questions. And actually, that, I think, for me, helps a lot of the young people who are looking for those opportunities it becomes less daunting because they don't think, well, I'm being prejudged because they haven't actually
0: seen anything about me yet. It's a really interesting one. And certainly when we look at the data behind it, CVs are done incredibly well by the affluent middle classes because, you know, pushy parents are there to help write the CV to make sure the font is right, that the layout is beautiful. But as you say, actually, all it can ever do is say, well, i got these grades at university or school. Here's the school I went to. So uh, it's it's a brave thing to be getting rid of CVs. But I, t- I take my hat off to you It'd be interesting to see what would happen if more organisations did that.
1: Well, if you think about it, organisations now ask somebody to fill in an online application. Well, that is the starting point. And that is typically what the gatekeeper is to get you to the first stage. So the fact that you've attached something, that's probably not even going to be looked at until you get to an assessment centre, in all honesty. So if I can make it through all of these gatekeepers without that document, why do I then need the document at the assessment centre? You know, I can absolutely get it maybe further on in your career when you've got a bit more to evidence. But absolutely, when you're really just starting out You know how many 17-year-olds are going to have done so much stuff that the person's going to be looking at it going, well, tell me more about this, tell me more about that. It's going to be more around the hobbies and the volunteering and their personal interests.
0: But I mean, whether it's on a CV or not, actually the hobbies, the volunteering, the the showing that you've got that broader set of life skills, that is what's going to make a difference, isn't it, when you come into whatever process you you go through?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why our... um, our interview um, sheets that we use talk about. So ask them, tell me about something that really interests you. Tell me about your hobbies as opposed to anything else, um, because that allows the individual that confidence to talk about themselves. You know, they may not be academically strong. So why push the academia side of it, especially for an apprenticeship, because you're going to actually be putting them through um, a program that will help them with the any academic side that they require and you're going to be giving them the support what you're not going to be able to do is to really um, shape that passion from day one because if they're passionate and they got that drive and that commitment that's naturally going to come through so why focus on the academics because if it's an apprenticeship well you're training them anyway
0: so if you're listening to this, please don't not write a CV, if you understand me. You will probably need it for an awful lot of application processes. But it does really reinforce why it's un- important to understand who you're applying to and what they're looking for, because so many different organisations will approach this in a different way. And one of the other things to go to that, Sharon, I think, is actually just understanding the-, the timing of all of this. There'll be a lot of um, school leavers this year that are into the UCAS form filling at the moment. Um, and everybody knows the UCAS cycle, so everyone understands the deadlines but if they're interested in applying to Coca-Cola Europe Partners, um Partners what's the timescale that you work to when when should people be applying?
1: So we are quite literally um, going through our annual business plan for 2022 so I'm waiting for that to be signed off in order for me to be able to start to advertise the apprenticeship so Probably within the next four weeks, you'll see us go live with our main core group of apprenticeships. However, having said that, if you're interested in field engineering, which is our roles where um, you go out and you fix our equipment, that's actually about to go live in the next few days. Um, And that's where our engineers um, are trained on drinks dispensed equipment. Um, they're given a lovely vehicle to drive around um, their territory. And actually, you know, if you're the sort of person who wants that freedom and flexibility and to be able to, actually interact with um, a customer that's the type of job that you should be looking at as that entryway into um, our organization so that's the first one that's going to go live our recruitment cycle from a closing of applications will typically end at the end of January so it's just after that Christmas and also in time with the UCAS side of things as well for you to make the decision. Um, And the other thing I would say, if you're thinking about going to university, ask yourself this question. Why are you thinking about going to university? Is the subject that you're looking to study does it need to be do- done through a university pathway? Um, because there are lots of other opportunities to be able to get that degree that, you know, you might be thinking about getting. So, you know, so if you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to go and do a business degree. Also ask yourself, well, if I could be in a business doing a business degree, I get my four years worth of work experience as well as my degree. So for those listening and the parents listening, You know, this is very much about making informed choices. And fine, if you want to be a doctor, traditionally, you do have to go to medicine school. But hey, my friends at Health Education England, tell me you can do an apprenticeship in the NHS for being a medical um, member of staff. So look at that option as well
0: there are certainly um, there are standards written for apprenticeships for areas like physiotherapy and um, so yeah there are things to look out for that there are few and far between I have to say from from my experience but and again it goes back to why it's important as a parent person to really research these areas and discover what's out there because some of these apprenticeship roles which lead into well firstly you'll get a degree as part of it but I mean even your field engineer role I mean what's the starting salary for that it it's it's a pretty well-paid job isn't it It
1: is. So, um, the salary that we'll be bringing them in this year on, she says, just off the top of my head, is 24,000. Now, that is a 45 hour contract. So, you know, so, but it's still nevertheless a 24,000 fully expensed, um, company vehicle to get you around, which you can use both inside of work, because of course you need to use it inside work but also outside of work um as well um you know you become part of our bonus scheme our share scheme the pension scheme so you you know as an apprentice within our organization you get the same benefits as any other employee um with it. so you can join anything you can even buy your extra 5 days holiday which now we're able to travel more, I think more people are going to be buying it again. So, you know, you are treated no differently in that respect. See, I told you there's somebody going to walk past behind me. No. Uh, that's the life of being outside again. Um, but, you know, for us, it is really important that we demonstrate to the apprentices that they are of equal value, if not more, to us as an organisation, because these are our future leaders who will continue the organisational
0: journey. So you may start as an apprentice as a field engineer, but actually we're then into kind of over the next few years, all those many other areas that we've talked about around the business. So you, your career may start in one part of the UK, but could end up almost anywhere.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. So the field engineers, you know, um, as you start as an apprentice, you'll then become, as a, a great expression, um, one of our directors uses, time served. Um and uh once you become time served, um, you know, it creates more opportunities. But then you can move into management roles. You might choose to then actually transition from that side because field engineering is customer focused. You might say, well, actually, I want to move to the commercial side of the business because I actually understand the customer's needs uh, because I'm often in their, their outlets and their locations. And then just take that skill set and move it into a different part of our business and that's what I love about our business you know when I started I worked for a part of the business in finance I then moved into commercial sales and then I've moved into people and culture you have so many different pathways because it's about the transferable skills you can get the experiences when you're doing the job. It's the transferable skills that you take to each part of the business that really, really works for you. Um, so yeah, we, we have a number of our, um, former apprentices who have made the transition into, to different roles. So Kate, who's up in Wakefield, you know, she joined the business as a business admin apprentice, one of our very first ones. She went, then went into our continuous improvement team. She's now moved into as a team leader in our logistics area. So she's just been moving herself around. But what she's been doing is she's been building her business experience so that she is then in a position to move anywhere she wants in our organization.
0: So there we go. That's an amazing point on which to end as as a kind of great example then of what can happen, the opportunities that exist within the organisation. Sharon, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Because I know you're about to go on stage and speak. It really is appreciated. Um, it'd be great to hear all about the updated world of CodeColor Europe-Pacific Partners.
1: Thank you, David.
0: So um, thank you to all of you for listening to. Now, next week is actually half term, so we won't be sharing any talent talks, but I look forward to seeing you in early November when we will be back. Thanks very much indeed. Have a great half term break.